I'm preaching on the life of Moses for a number of weeks now. We're nearing the conclusion of this series, and we'll do so with today's message, The Strange Case of Balaam, Numbers 22:27. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you've ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his head, hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. The strange case of Balaam. In our study of the life of Moses, then, we come to this strange story. And the culmination of the story will actually bring us to the last official act of Moses before he began the task of giving the law again to the people of Israel. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about, the retelling or the re-giving of the law and also the commissioning of Joshua, the son of Nun, to be the leader of the people of Israel. But his last then act outside of those things that would be very internal things is the story that is recorded here, the culmination of this story, in dealing with Balaam. And Numbers 31 and 1 tells us this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel, and afterward you shall be gathered to your people. Uh, Moses, you're going to do this. And then die. Now, the story of Balaam takes on even more significance for us, even more than that this story is intertwined with Moses' story to be uh, the, so that the fact of his dealing, using the children of Israel to deal with Balaam, would be his uh, last uh, act. Uh, granted, we'll get a whole other book in the Bible out of it again, you know, but still, after this, you shall be gathered to your people. But then it's given prominent coverage near the end of the New Testament revelation. Three New Testament writers, Simon Peter, Jude, and John, who wrote the book of Revelation, give us this. 2 Peter 2.15, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Jude 11, woe to them, for they've gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the error of Balaam. For profit. Revelation 2.14, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. The way of Balaam, the error of Balaam, and the doctrine of Balaam. They've never perished from the earth. Balaam stands as a remarkable illustration of a simple truth. Either we will love money and use God, or we will love God and use money. 
one or the other. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 16 and 13, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You, and that means me and all of you, you cannot serve God and well. Now today it'll be our task to discover why it is that the Bible gives this story of Balaam such prominent coverage and why all the way literally to the book of Revelation, God is still warning us about the danger of Balaam and how it's possible to follow his ways. And we'll begin this today by looking at the actual person of Balaam, his personality, and we approach this with very sparse information. Uh, Balaam just appears on the scene. We are told that he's the son of Beor. Uh, he is called a prophet, but he is also called a diviner. Uh, that was someone who used enchantments and sorcery uh, in order to bring, at least in Balaam's case, famously, to bring curses or blessings on whoever he will. Now, the children of Israel had arrived at the land of the Moabites and camped there. Remember that the Moabites were descended from Lot, the nephew of Abraham. And uh, their land was just across Jordan from Jericho. So they're in the land of uh, the Moabites. And Moab, verse 3, was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you this morning, I have a real tough time with Balak. For some reason, I want to call him Barak, Barak. And uh, if, I, if I get it mixed up, I don't mean anything by it. I'm serious. I, I don't know why that got in my head. Uh, but I found myself talking about Balak all week long. It's Balak, Balak. Uh, now, Balak, when he looked in as the king of Moab, looked at this company of people who had invaded their land, and he said, man, we've got to do something. What are we going to do? And so they thought of Balaam, this famous diviner. And so they sent emissaries to him. Verse 6, therefore they said to him, to Balaam, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, now the Midianites were just to the south. So we've got the Moabites uh, basically also on the south, the Midianites, the land of Midian. And the elders of both then departed with the diviner's fee, in their hand. That's where he's called a diviner. Uh, it's kind of a sorcerer who uses enchantments to get in touch with the spirit world of some kind. This diviner, they came then with the diviner's fee and they came to Balaam and spoke to him. And we know that Balaam is spoken of as living in Pethor by the Euphrates River, but he's also called a resident of Midian. And the Midianites were obviously involved in this entire plot to use Balaam to bring a curse on Israel. These messengers came to Balaam and he gave a very intriguing response. He says in verse 8, this is Balaam. 
lodge here tonight. I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes with Balaam. Uh, then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Oh, Here's the huge question. How does Balaam know that God is to be called Jehovah? That's the name he used. So he brings up the Lord's name, the sacred name, the name that God had revealed to Moses. Obviously, that name has gained some renown. And Balaam is using it. And it's strange to hear it coming from the tongue of an idolatrous uh, Midianite and and, and, and Moabite, uh, stranger then that this diviner and sorcerer Balaam knew the name of God is even stranger still that God answered him, showed up and talked to him. And the answer was that uh, he was not to go with these men that had come to him. Don't go. Don't go. And so Balaam would send the messengers away, but of course they quickly came back. Verse 18 They were asking Balaam again to come. And when they came back again the second time, they upped the ante. Whatever the diviner's fee was before, now we'll see that Balaam was talking about uh, a houseful, a whole houseful of silver and gold. Uh, You see what is on Balaam's mind. Uh, Though Balak were to give me the house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God. Lord my God. Now he's claimed that God, the Lord Jehovah is his God. And so he's inquired of the Lord. God has answered him and told him, do not go with these men. But now God gives him permission. Verse 20, God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and he went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey and his two servants with him. It seems a bit strange to us. God telling Balaam that he could go with them, and then God gets angry at him because he went. If we'll keep reading, though, we'll find out what was going on Uh, Balaam's heart was not right. And you and I know this. You can do what God tells you to do for the wrong reason and with the wrong heart. And God saw that. He knew it. Balaam was excited about it. He still had his mind on the money. And so with this heart that God is going to call perverse, your heart is perverse. So the angel of the Lord, the Jehovah angel appears, highest of them all. Stands in the way with the sword in his hand. And the donkey sees the angel, but Balaam doesn't. Now the donkey turns aside in the field. And, you know, Balaam gets all aggravated and gets him back on the way. He goes along a little. It's going to be repeated three times. And the last time that Balaam started to beat the animal after 
he had just plumb laid down on him, the Bible says. I mean, he just laid down and refused to go on any further. The Bible says that the Lord then opened the donkey's mouth so that it could speak. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you've ridden ever since I became yours to this day? So what do you do if your donkey asks you a question? <laughs> well, you answer it, of course. Uh, what's that? <laughs> if your donkey starts to talk to you, talk back. You say, Brother Rich, do you believe this really happened? I sure do. I sure do. Uh, is there anything the Bible says too hard for the Lord? No. He could put his words in the mouth of a donkey and did. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. See, God saw what was in his heart. His heart was as crooked as a dog's leg, as the old timers used to say. And God knew it. God knew it. Your way is perverse before me. Even though he was doing what God told him to do, his heart wasn't right. The donkey saw me, the Jehovah angel said, and turned aside from me these three times. And if she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now. And let her, that's the donkey, live. Now, at that point then, uh, Balaam had received a very strong warning. And that warning was, you are going to go, but your heart's not right. And you make sure when you get to Balak that you tell him exactly what I tell you, tell him. I, I, think, I think Balaam got that message. We'll see him saying not once, not twice, but three times. Now, I can only tell you what God tells me to tell you. I can't say anything else. So he got the message for the most part. He did. And that brings us then to the actual prophecy of Balaam. What he said. Well, Balaam arrives. He meets with Balak, the king of the Moabites. They go to the high places of Baal. Baal's the false god, of course, you know that. There they built altars and offered sacrifices while Balaam went apart aside to hear a word from God. From God. Now this would be repeated three times in three different locations. And each time, Balaam then would receive a message from God to deliver. And each of those messages was a message of blessing rather than a message of cursing. Now make no mistake about what you're reading this diviner sorcerer was all the time doing his thing and claiming credit for everything that he said, as we'll see. Look at Numbers 24 and 1. And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he went not as at other times to seek for enchantment. Still, you see, all this time as he was going aside and moving aside, he was still using his enchantments. Whatever they were, we don't know what they were. But whatever they were, he was still using them. But this time it'll be different, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. And each of these messages then that he delivered, there was an element 
of, of, of himself and his lofty position as a diviner and now as a spokesman for God. And he would exploit that as well. Verse 3 of Numbers 24, he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open. Yeah, he's playing this pretty big. The utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty. You can see a lot about Balaam's character. He falls down with eyes wide open. He had gone into what we would call a trance. The Spirit of the Lord had come upon him, and he went into a, he fell down. His eyes were locked open, and in that trance-like state, God spoke to him his message. And if you're wondering at this point in time why that God would choose to speak through a diviner and a sorcerer like Balaam, remember this whole story started with God speaking through a donkey. Same God that spoke through a donkey could speak through Balaam, put his words in Balaam's mouth. And he did, and he does. The bulk of Balaam's message from the Lord was simple. It was all of extraordinary blessings on God's people. The Moabites and the Midianites had considered giving Balaam a king's ransom, we'd call it. I mean, an incredible price to curse the children of Israel so that they could be defeated. But instead, they were blessed. And by that, Balaam's famous, notorious ability to curse or to bless was thwarted. Balaam was pulled to the side and put up in front of people then, and though he tried to spend it all to his advantage, in the end, it was the blessing of God that came through. These people are going to be blessed. Now, we don't have time this morning to consider all of these prophecies. I'll I'll hit a few high points with you. There were three of them, and they're all spelled out for us in Scripture. You can look at them. Some of them are very fascinating. Uh, Balaam, first of all, saw that Israel was blessed and was going to be blessed a lot more. And that's what he said in verse 8 of Numbers 23. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, from the hills I behold him. There a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my end be like his. Oh, what a blessing. (laughs) Um, Balak was livid, (laughs) disappointed. I hired you to curse him. And now you've blessed him. Balaam reminded him, listen, I can't say anything but what God said. So they decided to change to a different location. After all, uh, they were at a a temple, a a sacrifice, a high place where the Baal uh, Baal was worshipped. So uh, they went to another place. And maybe the message would change. But Numbers 23, 19, Balaam would say, God is not a man that he should lie. (laughs) It's absolutely true. Nor son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will not do? Or has he spoken and will not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. And he is blessed and I cannot reverse it. He's going to say that there's no enchantment. There was no divination, no sorcery that would work against Israel so that they'd be blessed. 
Numbers 23 and 21. In his second message then, he would say this, He, that's God, has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. How could Balaam say that? And remember, God had given them some that message to speak. How, how can this be since Israel had sinned so much and would sin again? How can God look at you and me and say that we are righteous when we have sinned so much and will sin again? Uh, Balaam didn't know anything about the imputed righteousness of God, which is by faith. And, uh, those people didn't know a whole lot about that righteousness of God, but we do. Paul asked a great, great question in Romans chapter 8 and verse 33. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God that justifies. See, God has declared us to be not guilty according to law. He has done this on the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will judge his people, but he's not going to let some false prophet have a part in that. <laughs> no, neither the accuser. Uh, nor your enemies nor mine will be able to accuse us before God. No, all judgment has been committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is our advocate. He's on our side. He pleads our case. Why? Because we're so good? No, but because Jesus Christ is so good. And our sins are under the blood of Jesus if we believed on him. Uh, the Lord has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Well, they changed locations again, and then Balaam turned away from his enchantments. We've already seen that passage. And the Spirit of the Lord then came upon him, and then Balaam really gets tuned up. <laughs> Oh, I'd, I'd encourage you to read that whole message sometime. Not right now, but in Numbers 24 uh, and 8, he begins to speak of what God was going to do. God brings him, that's Israel, out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion and a lioness. Who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you. And cursed are those who cursed you. That's Israel. You've probably heard that statement repeated from time to time. And might not have ever recognized that it came from the mouth of Balaam. And regardless of what spokesman God chose to use. Listen, that statement was the truth. Balaam would say of Israel, I will bless them that bless you. Curse them that curse you. Now, Balak was really upset now. I mean, this is just not once, not twice, but three times that he thought he was going to curse Israel. And every time the blessings just keep getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> God just keeps on blessing and blessing. So, so Balak interrupts Balaam at that point. But Balaam wasn't finished yet. And so he takes it up. In verse 14 of Numbers 24, Now behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people, Israel, will do to your people in the latter days. And then verse 16, The utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. There he is, remember, still taking the credit. I see him, that is God, but not now. I behold him, but not near a star 
shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Edom shall be a possession. Seir also his enemies shall be a possession while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. He will go on and speak of nation and na- after nation and peoples after peoples who are going to be subdued by this one who shall have dominion. No doubt at least a part of that promise and prophecy would refer to Joshua. But remember that Joshua himself is just a picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that Balaam, diviner though he was, sorcerer though he was, his mouth was opened by the Spirit of the Most High God. And he spoke the truth and looked all the way down into the latter days. See, the one who would have dominion. Did I tell you this is a strange story of Balaam? We see his person. He was strange in his person. He was strange in his prophecy. But perhaps the strangest thing of all was his prayer and what happened next. We've already seen his prayer. It was a part of his first message. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. You see, he looked down at the people of God and he saw the blessing of God on Israel. And he was praying to God, oh God, that I could be with them. Oh God, that I could be like them. If, If I could just die the death that they're going to have. If my life could just be the life and death that they're going to live and die. Oh, that my last end could be like your people Israel. But Balaam didn't go and join the people of God. He could have. Greatly blessed though they were and though they would be. He didn't turn from his enchantments. He went back to his people. The idolatrous Midianites. But before he left, he did one more thing. Had to read all the way over to the end almost of the book of Numbers. In Numbers 31, 16, where Moses said, Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now, this isn't recorded earlier. It happened here. But we know what happened. Uh, The Moabites sent their young, beautiful women to the children of Israel. They enticed the men. And they enticed them to come to the places where Baal was worshipped. And Baal was worshipped in in scenes of forbidding vulgarity. We could not even begin to describe all the things that were done. the, The sexual things that were done in the worship of Baal. The Moabite Beautiful Moabite women then enticing the children of Israel. You see, Balaam knew that God did not see their iniquities. So he decided what we need to do is show him some iniquity. They enticed the men then to the worship of Baal. And he knew that God would judge them and God did. But God knew what Balaam had done. He knew what the Moabites and the Midianites had done. 
And so he sent Moses on that last mission to bring vengeance upon them for this. And it happened. Number one, Numbers 31 and 7. And they warred against the Midianites just as the Lord commanded Moses. And they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, Reba, the five kings of Midian. Balaam, the son of Beor. They also killed with the sword. After all Balaam had seen and heard. After seeing the Jehovah angel himself. After conversing with God repeatedly and seeing the incredible blessings all the way to the latter days that God had promised on Israel. Yet he still connived his way around. No doubt found a way to earn his fee. Not by pronouncing a curse on them. Just telling them what to do so that God would punish them. God saw it all. And though Balaam could have gone with God's people. He could have turned away from his enchantments. He could have turned away from the Midianite people and gone and spent his life with the people of God to fulfill then that last prayer so that my life would be like their life. My end would be like their end. I could be uh, the righteous. I, I could die the death of the righteous. But instead, Balaam died with Midian under the judgment of God. And rightly so. Rightly so. He deserved no less. You see, you can't die the death of the righteous unless you believe on the one who justifies the ungodly. It's the only way. And when you believe on the one who justifies the ungodly, the Bible says your faith is counted as righteousness. I hope you've done that today. I hope you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. That you've received Him. So that your faith in Him then is counted for righteousness. And God has taken then all of your sin and put it on Jesus Christ. And taken all of His righteousness and, and put it on you. I, I hope you've done that. Because if you have, you can die the death of the righteous. Not because of anything you did, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us. The hymn writer says it best, Jesus paid it all, all to him. Oh. So what do we get out of this strange story? What have we learned? I've got a couple of three things. And the first one, of course, is that all significant question. Are you absolutely sure today that you're going to die the death of the righteous? The rapture of the saints may intervene. The Bible tells us, and I believe this, absolutely. And you believe it too, I pray. 
that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I, I want to go out with that crowd that hears a shout and is caught up be with the Lord but I might be numbered among the first ones to go I might be in the first wave and say who's going to be in the first wave that's the dead in Christ shall rise first but unless the rapture intervenes folk all of us are going to be in that first crowd unless the Lord calls us out and we're alive when he comes So that's a big question for us. Since we know we're going to die, will we die the death of the righteous? There's only one way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Balaam then, secondly, what do we do with this? Balaam stands as a prominent example of the importance of our heart, our motives, We can know the Word of God and even sit out to do what God tells us to do and yet have a crooked heart with our motives all messed up. And if we do, God knows it. God knows it. Jesus warned us about the deceitfulness of riches. Because, you see, we might convince ourselves that we really love God and we use money, but all the time we might love money and are using God. We can fool ourselves. I'm sure Balaam did. But we never fool God. Oh, search our hearts. Search our hearts. Lastly, Balaam is mentioned three times in the New Testament, and all three times it is in conjunction with the false prophets and the warning that just like Balaam There would be false prophets all the way to the book of Revelation. We're still being warned about the false prophets. In that sense, Balaam, you see, is with us still, and he'll be here until Jesus comes. There's a a prophet, a person who's willing to market his message, whatever it might be. A prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, for prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T. They abound in our world today. I'll never forget listening to a man on television one time. He had preached a pretty good sermon. I'll give him that. I was enjoying it right down until he got to the end. And he talked about basically, and I, can, I can't quote it exactly, but I remember what he said. He, he was talking about if you need a miracle from God today, you need to send in a seed of faith. And for those of you that don't know what he was talking about, that meant you need to send that preacher an offering. He had his address right down there on the bottom of the screen. If you need a miracle, to send in a seed of faith. And then with a straight face, even raised his finger. If you want a really big miracle, you need to give a big seed. Hmm. Folk, anytime you start hearing preachers, I don't care what they call themselves, saying things like that, they are a prophet of Balaam, a prophet of fire for hire. God's not for sale. His blessings cannot be bought. Not at any price. Not at any price. 
prophets of Balaam were with us still. Be warned. Be warned. And they're pretty good. They can make themselves look pretty good. Balaam did. Still can. It's important for us as God's people to make sure that we listen to somebody who tells us the truth of God. Just opens up this old book, preaches it the old way. That's what I try to do. I'm not bragging to myself this morning. That's all I know to do. You could offer me a lot of money to try to change the message. Uh, It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Why? (laughs) Because I fear God. I want to tell you the truth. Not mine, but his. Truth is that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The truth is that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And he gives forth a simple message. Whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so I ask you today, have you believed on the one who justifies the ungodly? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Maybe you have, but you haven't followed the Lord in baptism. Maybe you're needing a church home and you know it. Need a place for you and your family. We'd love to have you as a part of Faith Baptist. You see a whole lot about what we're about just by being here today. And if God is leading you to be a part of our fellowship, make that decision. As we stand together.